Dan, here we are. Episode, uh, to double check, number 30. <laughs> Episode 30. Cue, cue the fireworks, cue the sound. Uh, everybody, long-time listeners will know, Episode 30 was a long-time milestone of ours. It wasn't. <laughs> but... Uh, look at I us. I remember episode 15 was the milestone. That we were <laughs> yeah, or one. <laughs> um, look at Every us. Week Every week is a milestone. Every week is a milestone. We've gone through another week. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, how does it feel, Dan, knowing that 30 weeks ago is when we started talking about this bullshit? <laughs> it feels kind of insane. It's Yeah, it's, a diff- it's like mapping a different type of time over actual yeah. time. Podcast time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Although maybe the human experience is just different <laughs> types of time lumped on top of each other. It's the podcaster's paradox. <laughs> um, but no, it feels it feels good to have made it this far. Mm. Um, yeah, it's the most I've achieved in quite a long time. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, look at that. <laughs> Since we got to 20 episodes. <laughs> I know. Um, this, was a, this was a pretty rocking uh, last 10 episodes, I think. It was funny because, right, we went into it with a bit of a plan. And that kind of went out the window pretty quickly. But at least those first few episodes, we had a plan. We kind of stuck to it. Um, And I'm proud of us. I think that's what I'm getting at, Dan. I'm very proud of us for 30 episodes. Yeah. Before you can follow through on a plan, you at least have to have a plan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So we've proven our ability to do half of that. Yeah. We had a plan at one point. Yeah. At one point. And... um, the fact that the plan was not necessarily followed through was not catastrophic. <laughs> it was not catastrophic. No. If anything, it widened our horizons. It allowed us to read some things that we might not have read otherwise. I, I mean, I say that we read like Ralph Miliband, uh-huh. <laughs> like uh-huh. and we read some Philip uh-huh. Bonner, but it was great. It was really, really uh-huh. great. Um, the listener may not know. Ooh. We have something of a tradition. Yes, we do. And uh, given that we've got to 30 episodes. We've been going for a little while now. I think we're allowed to have traditions. I think so. I think we can officially call it it's a tradition. Called, it's what, once time. it gets to the third time, it yeah. becomes it can be a tradition. An auxiliary statement's tradition. <laughs> uh, said tradition is that when we get to the... The, um, the episode with the zero. With the it. episode with the zero. <laughs> at the end. Every tenth. One we're start. trying to find a better word. <laughs> Decimal episodes? Every tenth. Every tenth episode. <laughs> when we get to... Every tenth episode, <laughs> dear listener, we have taken to reviewing the previous nine episodes. Mm. Um, for with some the reason, ho- for some reason, yeah, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Usually, so that we can take a week off reading something, yeah, ostensibly read something else. I yeah. haven't done any other reading this week, <laughs> right? Um, something big. <laughs> One of these days, <laughs> we're going to read another <laughs> book. <laughs> <laughs> One one of these days we're going to promise something big and then actually deliver on exactly bigness exactly on the bigness on the bigness. <laughs> but um, I think it still feels worthwhile to follow through this tradition. Yeah. Uh, to collect our thoughts to see where we are. It's kind of a retrospective, but uh, looking forward, it's um, asking ourselves potentially the question: What's the point? <laughs> uh, where have we gotten? How are we feeling? How are we feeling? Yeah. yeah. We're reading the room. Checking. It's a vibe, it's a vibe <laughs> check. The, it is a vibe, vibe check. What we're trying to say is every 10 episodes we do a vibe check. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and we find ourselves as lazy as we were last time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, just as ignorant. 
Just as ignorant. Which is presumably why people listen, right? That well, must I'd be like, our, our endearing ignorance. We say we say just as ignorant. I'm sure I said some extraordinarily ignorant things in the like early episodes where we talked about Corbin yeah. and stuff that I like to think that I wouldn't say now. Uh-huh. Maybe I would. I yeah. don't know. Who knows? So, so, okay, we're measuring growth. <laughs> we're measuring growth, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, see if there is any. The podcast line. Yeah. yeah Trending yeah. upwards. Yeah. I will say, last 10 episodes, huge milestone, as we all know. Uh, we finally finished... That's just, let's just say, first things first, we finally finished the Ralph Millen band. We did it. The book that started it all, that was part of the last 10 episodes. Yeah. It took us kind of six episodes to do. There were five parts, I think. Maybe not. No, that's not true. I don't remember how many there were. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did five episodes. There were five chapters. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, but yeah. the introduction was episode one. Are you sure there weren't six? Because wasn't class in party five? And then Reforming Revolution for six. I don't know. Whatever. They can cut this. We made it to, we finished the Ralph Miller Band book. <laughs> um, and I think that that will be an interesting, once we get to actually talking about everything, a yeah. little review, it'll be interesting to have used that book and used Miller Band's thought process as a way to kind of measure our own. Yeah. Um, and it'll be interesting to see kind of what we came away from that book thinking, how we thought about it at the beginning, and just have a good time. That's all we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose in that, like, we, we started with that book mm. um, and it was a very interesting way for us to engage with certain, like, basic Marxist pieces of terminology to yeah. uh, interest us, ourselves to, um, I suppose, a Marxist literature, mm. uh, sort of orientate ourselves apropos a politics that might be described as Marxist. Even trying to define what that might mean. Yeah. That big word. But I think we're also at the point where we're, I think we want to critically engage that book, even mm. if we haven't done so yet. I think we did mm. a little bit of that. Yeah. yeah. I don't know whether we're, I don't know. Maybe this is, maybe it's quite, da- it's a quite daunting prospect. Yeah, we, we might, we might want <laughs> to, have to have we might need to, we might need to, I don't know. I'm wondering whether we need to break with, uh, with Ralph. Millibandism. Well, we'll get there. We'll get yeah. there. If we need to break with Ralph, we'll get there. Um, couple of things to bring up really quickly. In our second episode, episode number two, I should say, I think, we uh, came across Ralph Miliband by way of an article in Tribune magazine. And it was an interview with Jeremy Corbyn. And they started off by saying, you know, your good friend Ralph um, thought that the Labour Party could never be used uh, for, as a vehicle for socialism. And then it kind of, Jeremy Corbyn kind of gave a very like politician's answer um, to that. But Dan, I think to start us off, I'd like to like to get some of your takes from the most recent election. Does, well, I mean, it's funny, right? Because I think I've certainly gone from like seeing labor lose under Corbyn and being like, oh God, the world's going to end to now I'm just like, they lost Hartlepool. <laughs> what are you going to do? The Tories are winning again. Suck it, Kira Starmer. Um, so I'd like to know after this weekend, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about everything? How are you feeling about the Labour Party? Are you going to stay, Dan, in the <laughs> Labour Party? Uh, well, first things first, it was funny to think back on that on that, on that episode two mm. to think that um, I was invested enough in Jeremy Corbyn to be disappointed in his yeah. answers. I know, yeah. I don't think I'm. I don't think I'm invested enough to be disappointed anymore. It, it, that's a weird feeling. Yeah, a really weird feeling. Yeah. I'm still a member of the Labour Party. And uh, partly it just sort of feels like it took me a long time to join. And so it will take me a long time to leave. Sure. Um, initially, when the left, quote unquote, <laughs> failed to re- retain the leadership of the Labour Party, mm. 
my thought process was, well, if if the Labour Party was a, a vehicle worth engaging with and being in, um, I was I was at least unwilling to take up the position that it was only a vehicle worth engaging with and being in because it had a nominally um, left wing leader. Yeah, I felt like maybe I just wanted to vindicate myself. Yeah, or I wanted to feel like I hadn't just jumped on a, a bandwagon mm. uh, and would rather have thought that I had some sort of deeper tactical understanding of what it was that I was doing. Sure, yeah. Um, I suppose, it, I mean, I, I suppose if if it was the case that I did have some some um, some aspiration or some sense of there being a tactic in relating to the Labour Party, it was one that was based around... Um, attempting to do something like build a broad-based social movement, a movement of political activists who are also embedded in their communities, um, people who were willing to represent a certain type of politics in everyday life. Yeah. And I was sort of taken with the idea, well, partially I was taken with the idea that it might be possible to build some kind of mass party which had roots in society. Yeah. Now, and I was I was sort of all, at the beginning of 2020, I was kind of up for trying to do that. Mm. Like, I knew some people in the Labour Party locally, um, were, and we were sort of meeting together to work out what we might do to try and... Um, I don't know, sort of put put uh, put an idea like that into practice. Yeah, I suppose. Sure. And then there was, I mean, there was some tragedy in that one of our local councillors died, oh God. which is quite sad. And then, um, and then the pandemic came along, yeah. and my reaction to the pandemic was, well, I don't want to do Labour Party stuff over Zoom. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, and it was enough. just like I cut myself off entirely from it, um, and have not sort of considered going back. So it's kind of like. Uh, events intervene to make me never d- yeah. try out this hypothesis. Not that, not that, like, make that makes it sound a bit like I feel like I, I feel so, uh, I've got such a high praise for my own, the potential contribution I may have made that it might have actually made a massive difference. But yeah, but obviously I haven't, but it's strange because, like, I, I don't feel that feeling anymore, but also I, it was, it's not been an active process of breaking, it's just been a sort of like, yeah. It just kind of ebbed. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, the excitement was there. I remember in that episode, that was what we were really excited about was the prospect. Well, not excited. I mean, that was the idea that we clung to about Corbin was yeah. the idea of the community organizing and everything. And um, yeah, that's kind of gone, gone. Yeah. 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 And that, yeah. <laughs> and I, yeah. And I mean, like they're actively trying to purge that. Yeah. Um, from the, the, the current leadership of the Labour Party is actively trying to reduce that tendency or the influence of that kind of tactic um well i mean but it's but it's funny to watch it backfire yeah, on them kind of exactly thing. Uh, yeah. so there is a certain amount of like i don't even whether, know whether it's schadenfreude maybe it's just it it's just, <laughs> just legitimate joy i don't know yeah yeah uh, sort of like seeing these people fail <laughs> um and i spoke but but I suppose the the other aspect of my interaction with the Labour Party, which I've also been thinking about recently, is whether there was any policy program that was being put forward by the former left wing leadership of the Labour Party um, that was in some way was 
progressive from um, a radical standpoint, I suppose. Yeah. Whether, and I suppose this this is um, partly that speaks to my inclination when we were reading the Reform and Revolution chapter of Ralph Miliband to at least feel some affinity with the kind of revolutionary reformism, mm. which is clearly Ralph Miliband's sort of tactical approach, standpoint, mm. analysis of uh, what Marxist political practice might be. Yeah, which, um, is, which was weird why he was quoted like that as just being completely anti-Labour Party in the in the Tribune piece. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's, I suppose it's a bit more complicated than that. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't understand, I don't know en- enough about Ralph Miliband's <laughs> We haven't engaged enough with his position on the Labour Party to know kind of thing. I mean, I got the impression when we did some extra reading for that episode, and so I'm thinking a long way back now. I got the impression that his tendency to his inclination toward the Labour Party sort of went back and forth, kind of thing. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. he thought it was a useful vehicle, and sometimes he was willing to like uh, jettison it or shed all connection. So um, I suppose in that sense, I, I I stand in his shadow as being someone who's willing to vacillate between the two yeah. yeah yeah that's a good way to come down on it just like yeah we'll see how am i feeling today no, yeah, yeah yeah what's going on yeah but i was thinking before i was we we're just talking a little bit before i was thinking about um how to reflect on the sort of the visible because i i mean i haven't done enough engagement with the labor party and it's left on a grassroots level to know what it looks like i mean Eighteen months ago, when I was did some kind of like had some kind of interaction with the ostensible left that was visible in Labour Party meetings or in momentum meetings, I found the left to be um, kind of tactically inept and <laughs> deranged in a lot of <laughs> cases. No way. Um, which made it very hard to want to ally with them sometimes. Mm. And then, but as for, although I know that there are, I mean, I know that there are sort of committed Marxists in the Labour Party, whether it's, it's um, a fool's errand, I suppose, (laughs) what their, what their, what their, the the theoretical underpinnings of their involvement, I'm not, I'm not sure what they are. Mm. Um, But I was also thinking about certain prominent high profile left wing members of the Labour Party and how I would actually assess them kind of thing. Um where I would put them on a, a spectrum, whether I would, whether I think of them, may, whether they're all really like um, closet or not so closet social reformers, whether they're all like really just heirs to Fabianism more than they are what you might identify as being right-wing Marxists, whether they're, whether whether there's anybody in the Labour Party, high profile in the Labour Party who might be described as somebody who was in the tradition of uh, Edward Bernstein or something. Somebody who was a commit, well, was committed to, well, he was obviously committed to Marxism and also committed to a transformation of society from capitalism to socialism. I wonder whether that, that tendency exists at all in the Labour Party or whether that tendency is so minute that it's inconsequential. The one person I always held out some kind of affinity or hope for was John McDonnell, but um, but I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, what else to say about the Labour Party? I mean, I'm sure the listeners know, right, that 
but I'll say it anyway, I suppose. Um, the Labour Party took a real drubbing in the most recent local elections. There were um, elections for uh, local representation on a sort of county and uh, city and town level. There were also elections to uh, the various devolved administrations in the, in the United Kingdom, whether that's the Scottish Parliament and the Welsh Assembly, or whether that's various mayoralties in ver in certain towns. Um, on the whole, and there was also one by election for a member of Parliament. And on the whole, the Labour Party did atrociously, and subsequently. The 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 <laughs> the kind of veneer of professionalism around Keir Starmer that was already looked quite hollow to a lot of us really did slip, um, and he was was revealed, I think, to be relatively powerless and quite impotent, even when it came to um, internal party control and discipline. I mean, obviously, he is lacking in any kind of uh, policy agenda, any kind of vision or intention. Mm. But I feel like there's probably a lot of people who may well have been in a position that I have been in, which was having nominal support for Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonald's leadership of the Labour Party, fallen into um, either despair or apathy, apropos of the Labour Party in these sort of preceding uh, just what is it a year and three months or so since Kirstama took over who now are imagining what a challenge to the current leadership might look like and where it would come from and um, and what the possibilities might be for that and I'm wondering whether that might be a really unproductive thing that's happening in a lot of people's brains how can the left take over the Labour Party again but I don't know. I sort of, I sort of found myself caught up in that excitement a little bit that seemed to be being expressed in some quarters. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of don't really see a left really coming back in the Labour Party anytime soon. Um, I don't know whether that's just because of a lot of the key players have just kind of gotten fed up and have just left, or it just—it's pretty obvious now where the money involved in the Labour Party actually wants. Um, the policy to go. So I don't know. I'm ready to give up. I'm ready to give up on the Labour Party entirely. Unless it's, you know, like we were talking about during the local elections. Like, unless it's, you know, just like a nice local person running for a nice local office who seems cool. And it's just like, yeah, okay, cool. But other than that, on a national level, yeah, I'm pretty much ready to give up, I think. Um, uh, I think that this is kind of, it's it's pretty much just going to become uh, Democrats in America. And I, I, I say that with the like, Caveat that it is obvious that there are more labor ties in actual labor ties in the Labour Party than there are obviously in the Democratic Party. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm ready to give up. <laughs> having said that, so I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just too pessimistic. But uh, I don't I don't see much uh, changing unless it does. And that's the other caveat because it also could. <laughs> so so I don't know. We we should definitely give some thought. Not necessarily now, perhaps not necessarily expressed on the podcast at all, but um, it's definitely worth thinking about what that change would actually be that would make it worthwhile again. Yeah. Um, you would have to be pretty radical. Although, I mean, like, I, 
I, I don't know. Like, what was it under Corbynism, you know what I mean, that made the party that much different? Like, obviously now they've gotten rid of a bunch of people um, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, under Corbyn, it was still the Labour Party um, just with uh, someone slightly, well, not slightly, someone more left than Keir at the top. So, I don't know. Uh, at this point, I, uh, I don't know. Entryism, what are you going to do? I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of off it uh, completely. Uh, maybe I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's probably good. And that's probably... But I also can't vote, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's the right take. And I think there, there are certain things that we should remind ourselves that Labour Party definitely is not, right? Mm. It's definitely not... Um... <laughs> I thought you were about to say a Labour Party. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, um, I would be willing to give to to concede that on some levels, sometimes... The Labour Party is a party which seeks to represent the interests of Labour or is at least caught between a rhetorical desire to do that and some sense that that's what it's meant to be and certain activists in its base thinking that's what it's supposed to do and also this requirement as a uh, bourgeois political party whose aspiration, maybe not explicitly, but explicitly is to manage the affairs of yeah. capitalism yeah even 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 if it's not necessarily um claiming purely and simply to represent the interests of capital is capitalists it still maintains the status quo of capitalism kind of thing of course um yeah and also it doesn't uh, it, it um as a as a political party of the form that it takes it is clearly set up as some kind of like it it takes up a kind of like benevolent role toward the working class. It yeah. makes very little effort. I can't imagine it. It's it. It's a, it, if it has an aspiration to um, empower the working class to take the role of transforming society. That uh, that aspiration is very veiled and minimal. It, yeah, it, yeah. I mean, you could all. say you could say and it, on it, those it, same lines that there's something in the Democratic Party like that too, because there are like some activists, or at least some people, maybe even in Congress, who have like obviously not Marxist aims, but like nominally pro-working class policies under capitalism. And I would, you know, it's still neither of those parties, I think, at this point, are going to be changes for any kind of massive social change. So, yeah. whether they say that they're pro-working class or not, you know. And even even to a certain extent, like obviously what you're saying, yeah, there are people who are, especially in the Labour Party, like up for some social change. But you know. yeah, we're not going to get the dictatorship of the proletariat by electing a left wing Labour Party. Yeah, sadly, no. sadly. Well, you know what, Dan? Um, let me let me use this as a bit of a transition. Unless you have any any more scolding to do of the Labour Party, anything else to say? <laughs> Which, by all means, if you I'm do. I'm not sure I've done any scolding at all. Unless <laughs> will have to let me know. Um, or some Labour Party official will have to tell me whether I'm still allowed to be in the Labour Party. <laughs> That's the ultimate test, isn't it? Are, okay, well, I get last purged. thing. Are you going to stay in the Labour Party? Um, <laughs> you don't have to decide right now. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to give some thought to what, why, what, what, whether it's worthwhile or not. Why? Yeah. I mean... I mean, the I mean, the only thing that I get out of being in the Labour Party at the moment, I suppose, is the possibility of um, 
having a vote for a new leader. Mm. I mean, the, the likelihood of there being some kind of election for a new leader is more now than it was sure. two weeks ago. Yeah. So maybe it's almost maybe more worthwhile. While. Maybe wait a little while. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. I guess what I need to work out is. Is it am I only am I only willing to be a member of a party where I agree with at least nominally agree with its flagship policies, uh-huh. or is there some worth some tactical worth being in it even if I vehemently disagree with its flagship policies and its leadership and the direction it's going sure. and the the role it plays in society blah 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 and uh do I feel like the 48 quid or whatever it is, I give them a year. Do I want to contribute even that minimal uh, financial support to its its operations? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm done. I'm tired of talking about the Labour Party. Okay. <laughs> can, we, can we move on? Never again. Never again. Goddamn Labour Party. Um, I would like to, I would, on on that same note though, because we, we bought up our boy, Ralph Milliman, the patron saint, um, I realized fallen Dan, angel, fallen angel, potentially fallen angel, indeed. Um, I realized because we we did our episode about uh, you know a very a very short essay that Paul Maddock wrote, and we uh, very I think right before that, not right after that, we did our final episode on Ralph Miliband, and so we got very two different views on um, vehicles for social change. You know, the kind of council communism, more ultra lefty side. Uh, the more, uh, you know, kind of let the workers do it themselves, rock and roll side versus the, like, more reformist side. Um, and I, real- I realized, Dan, that I kind of have a bit of a dissonance, I think, in the way that I think about socialism and communism, et cetera. And I only just realized this this past weekend. Um, I think I have always been a little bit more uh, drawn towards the kind of ultra left spectrum if we have to put it in that and i think reading the automatic matic kind of put me in that mindset again a little bit more after reading some more kind of like more orthodoxy stuff but i realized like there is a bit of a dissonance in the way that i think about like there can't be any kind of like militaristic almost uh centralized top-down thing that's going to bring the workers to uh to socialism to communism um there's a dissonance between that and this idea of like there's going to need to be a class war at some point um and i I only just realized that this past weekend it's because i was listening to the song class war and i was like well what would that mean like how can you have an ultra left attitude towards organizing for uh the overthrow of capitalism ideally with the kind of like eventual let the workers, you know, kind of just do it themselves attitude. How would you like, how do you balance that? How do you balance those two things of like um, a uh, presumably some sort of like large organization that it would take to organize the masses to undertake this like monumental effort to overthrow capitalism, whatever that would look like with kind of not wanting to steer the working class through some kind of like vanguard or anything like that. And I have no idea. I realized that I have this dissonance in my mind and I was just kind of like, well, I'm not going to solve this anytime soon. Um, But I think that's kind of the main thing that I've been left thinking about with these last 10 episodes is like trying to balance those ideas. And because like when I say, when I say class war, I don't necessarily mean like throw up the barricades, everybody, you know, go get your goddamn guns, like whatever form that will take, like there's going to be some kind of conflict. Um, and I, I don't think any of us are like naive enough to think that it's just going to be at the ballot box, baby. We'll vote these. We'll vote these people out. 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I was wondering if you had any takes on that, just because it's like, I suppose maybe it's the inherent naivete, if you will, of maybe like an ultra left tendency. But uh, is it? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I don't really know where I come down on that. Um, well, I guess first things first, my in understanding about uh, class conflict would be to say that class conflict is a permanent feature of capitalism. Sure. You're sort of in the class conflict whenever you're at work, whenever you're interacting with a, uh, an authority which is a representative of the state in some way or mm. with the police or at some sort of hot or, like, hot or cold level, like the conflict is ongoing. Yeah. I guess a, a more, a, a more ultra-left perspective would say that um, it's the natural ebb and flow of the the class struggle that it has high points and low points. Sure. Um, and I suppose those high points and low points come about with, I guess, various different historical changes. Maybe the most significant one being the changes in the business cycle and the uh, propensity of capitalism to fall into crisis. Mm. Um, and I suppose the, the, yeah, the ultra left position is to say, well, it's at those moments that the working class will automatically realize the mission it is to fulfill in overthrowing capitalism exactly yeah um and it's in those moments of greatest need for a certain amount of like revolutionary creativity mm -hmm. that uh new forms of organization and no new modes of structuring society come about well, yeah, but I think that's kind of exactly what I'm saying. It's like, it's not a matter of the like high and low points. Yeah. It's a matter of the highest point. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's the actual matter of the transition where anyone from like, you know, petty bourgeoisie all the way up to like the biggest of the big, like they're, they're not going to want this change to happen. Yeah. So like, it's going to require some amount of organization, some amount of, you know, yeah, 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 the highest amount of organ, like yeah. high, high organization and, um, Significant commitment and discipline mm. and sacrifice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think you you and you are, and I are both feeling the same. Um, we've both reached the same impasse, I suppose. Mm. And it's quite well expressed in those episodes where we talked about re reform and revolution with Miliband and yeah. council communism. Yeah. Um, and the effort I made to re reference um, the theory of history that we've learned about through reading Ellen Meekson's Wood. Mm. And I feel like throughout, and there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of episodes, uh, several of the Miliband episodes are about that kind of, the distinction between um, the autonomous activity of the class and um, the, I guess, supplementary activity of um, organized revolutionaries. Mm. Whether those organized revolutionaries in the form of, well, I guess in the form of the parties to some extent, but I guess it could mm. be some other type of organization, whether they are uh, part of the class or part of the class or stand outside of it, um, whether they seek to aid and empower or to guide, lead, mislead. Yeah. Some collection of those things. Yeah. Um. I think in my I've sort of gotten this sort of brain worm kind <laughs> oh. of misunderstanding, which is to say that to make this strange distinction between there being some kind of 
automatic historical process mm. that's playing out, this sense that this this sense of kind of like operation of a teleology in history, which sometimes appears in certain brands of Marxism or certain lines of Marxist thought, which is to say that socialism is inevitable and the 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 development of class consciousness amongst the working class and the movement from um, a class in itself to a class mm. for itself are um, inevitable givens. Mm. Um, and that sort of that sort of idea appears in Marxist ideology, I suppose, or Marxist political thinking from various periods of history. And it's how to reconcile that sense of um, that sense of a class being called to a great deed, the emancipation of the human race, uh-huh. <laughs> um, and how you square that with. Um, Persons who um, might have some theoretical uh, commitment to the working classes taking up that role, even though the working class doesn't hasn't necessarily shown it at all times that that's their desire to do that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I don't. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't know where we. I don't know where we stand with that necessarily. Um, well, let me just say before before we get into the conversation too much about like. <clears throat> Allowing, like, will the working class fulfill its role just as, like, a natural teleological historical pr- perspective, right? Like, let me, I, I, I think, from, from what you were saying, like, I think I've realized that, like, my, my question about, like, it almost is, like, a militaristic question of, like, how would this be organized? Mm. Again, I think it comes down to, like, maybe what we can settle on is, and maybe this is just to let ourselves sleep at night and not think that this is impossible, is it's an organizational question. And so when it's easy for a lot of people to just say, well, it'll be an auxiliary branch of the party that will deal with all this stuff. The party will deal with it and everything will report to the central committee, blah, 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 blah. But in order for any of these things to be possible, I think any of these theories, whether it's you know uh, Marxist centrist ideas or even like ultra left ideas without a firm like, organizational perspective none of them are going to work at all you're either going to wind up with the like ml maoist idea of like the individual reports to his overseers and then the overseers reports to this person and then that person reports to the central committee and everybody's responsible to the central committee like without a like actually new uh frame of thinking about organization hopefully with which we've seen uh you know, that subject be broached with the stafford beer ideas that we were exposed to not this past in episodes but the temp so it's before that i think um Without something like that, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's just where I fall on it. Because it's like, how do you organize some sort of military uh, action as directed by the working class without it just becoming uh, kind of like autocrat military dictatorship? Well, it's through these ideas. And I don't know. I'd be interested to read something if somebody has written about like how that could be organized under something similar to the VSM where it's responsible the individual is responsible to the whole, but the whole is also responsible to kind of like the individual and things like that. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe it's just a question of that. Maybe that's maybe that's what we can settle on is an idea of like how does this 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 historical role not just devolve into something that is overly centralized and overly autocratic and uh, not going to really go anywhere? Because I think that's the question that I'm struggling with, and it again will help me sleep at night if I can just say it's an organizational question and leave it at that. Leave leave it up to the systems theorists to figure out what that organization might look like. 
Yeah, I think it's, a, it's certainly an organisational question. But it was, it's also sort of strikes at the core of Marxist political theory and tactics, I suppose. Mm. Or at least the, the political theory that's represented by the late 19th century and early 20th century pre-First World War party form represented by social democracy. Mm. Um, and I've been... Um, I've been listening to the Cosmonaut audio book of Lars Lee's Lenin Rediscovered, which everybody should go and listen to and subscribe <laughs> to their YouTube channel. And subscribe whoever to does, our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, but I will say whoever does the editing for those Cosmonaut videos Terrible. does it's, it's fucking, yeah, yeah. yeah. That guy needs to be that guy needs to be dealt with by the central committee, if you know what I mean. <laughs> In case it's not obvious, like we 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 know who we're berating and they don't mind. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm not actually talking that somebody like that should be shot. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Please. Uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, our very excellent comrades yeah. at Cosmonaut Magazine. Yeah. Um, so, so, by virtue of the fact that um, I've been listening to that audio book and thinking about um, ideas both around the tactics of German social democracy and the idea of uh, Marxist centrism, I am also keen to lump together... Leninism with German social democracy. And I think I'm convinced of the fact that Lenin was, for the most part, um, a, a proponent and a follower of mm. German social democracy. Mm. Um, we'll just make it like as the represented post by. <laughs> we'll make everything the post office. That's communism. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the point that I'm trying to make was the central tenet of that period of the history of Marxism was that it was only by empowering the working class to follow through in its historic mission of emancipating all of humanity. It's only by empowering the working class to become... Um, Empowering them to foster the new society, I suppose. Mm. Um, that a transformation from capitalism to socialism is even possible. Sure. Um, that is to say that it, it's, it's not. you are right to say that it is a tactical question. How do you prevent a party from, from as Miliband would have said, like supplementing itself for the class? Mm. But it's not just a matter of the desire to organize your party in that manner. But I feel like socialist parties can only but wish to organize their party in such a way as they prevent some kind of top-down mm. control and subversion of an otherwise revolutionary process guided by mm. the the creativity of the working class, I suppose. We need hope. One would hope. One would hope. Uh, I don't know what kind of answer that is. <laughs> We figured it out. Next question. <laughs> we solved it. Um, yeah. Interesting stuff. I, I, I think I have been coming down a lot more on the like, everybody can kind of say exactly what you're saying, that like it is about empowering the working class. That's, I think, something that like pretty much everybody can agree on. Um, but it is just a matter of, I, I keep coming down that it's just a matter of organization because like even with the council communists, for their kind of just flippant like, just agitate and it'll happen. Don't worry about it. It's Montenegro, baby. Um, 
or like even like the Leninists. It does come down to an organizational question and, you know, the lack yeah. of one or yeah. the, like ultra organizational stuff. You so. almost feel like it's more, at least it is an active question for the Leninists and the social Democrats. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I almost feel like there's more danger in an ultra left um, perspective because you're not mm. minded toward the dangers mm. potentially. You might think yourself so virtuous that you're not going to interfere, but I could, uh, I don't know. I can imagine someone with that mentality and that outlook almost being more likely to become frustrated with the the failings of or perceived failings of the working class. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine how they would ever get themselves in the position where they would actually do serious damage. Um, mm. But you can imagine them being at least more likely to perhaps burn out or to become frustrated or to give up the tactic or mm. the perspective kind of thing. Um, yeah, which is, I think, exactly much what better I'm to like Much better to have a way of mediating your interaction mm. in a sort of conscious and uh, in, a, in, a, in a way minded toward a particular theoretical outlook. I think that's kind of exactly what I'm saying about like, I really like a lot more the kind of like more ultra left idea of like, just just taking just taking for granted yes it can only be the working class and you know that helps the working class and i mean that is really great to say and it's very virtuous it's almost like virtue signaling because it's almost like okay great you know where do we go from there but i think that's exactly what i'm saying where it's like i would love to have that attitude but you need to have some sort of organizational like behavior to back it up and uh if you're just agitating make sure you're agitating in a way that isn't just like you know forfeiting the question you know what I mean? Um, because it's like the danger there is nothing happening at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? The danger of not doing that. So, um, yeah, I think that's kind of that's kind of what I mean when I say like it's an organizational question because it's not one where you can forfeit the question, but it's also not one where you can go. Trust me, I know I know what we need to do. Let's have a central committee and we'll just sort it out. Mm. Don't worry about it. You know, one that's m much too centralized. I would say. I mean. Something that's just occurred to me now is the the greatest threat really uh -oh. in 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 this sort of arena mm. is the threat of becoming a sect. Mm. Like that's far that's more likely to happen than anything else, right? Sure. You sort of ghettoize yourself with your little cadre of intellectuals mm. and um, commit yourself far more to convincing your small group of allies that you all share a certain set of perspective which you then actually make no effort to mm. meaningfully intervene yeah. in the lives of workers and can we name any organization that isn't a sect currently mm. <laughs> so mm. i don't know mm. unless you want to talk i mean there, there are probably some that are minded to war would hope would like to build a movement that wasn't sect like there I'm is sure that's there all is... <laughs> <of them>. <laughs> <laughs> i would imagine i don't know be a i sect. don't know <laughs> there are some there are certainly some groups who are more committed to unity than others I, absolutely absolutely i'm sure i'm sure that's very true but yeah when the rubber meets the road you know what i mean are you just kind of talking to a room of people who kind of think the exact same way uh yeah well we saw i feel like in my description of a sect i've just described this podcast <laughs> well at least we're not a political party <laughs> yeah um well, yeah, anything I like when I was when I was going through these episodes, I did definitely group those the Miliband and the Council of Communist ones together as kind of like 
definitely not a coherent train of thought, obviously, but one that was dealing with similar questions, albeit in very different ways. Yeah, um, and also sort of, oh, I felt like it sparked some soul searching, which you've just, you've <laughs> just, you, the listener, has just kind of heard some of that soul searching, groping around kind yeah, of thing. Exactly. Um, I yeah, I felt after we did the Miller episode, I felt kind of like felt a bit conscious that I had come down on the side of commitment to Miliband sort of revolutionary reformism and you had instinctively uh, sought more affinity with a sort of revolutionary position that's mm. not to say that I'm a reformer and you're a revolutionary <laughs> but afterwards I was doing a lot of thinking like why mm. why is that the case kind of thing Yeah, and it's, it stems from the things that I've been talking about like history with the Labour Party or history with thinking about these questions of political organisation I suppose yeah yeah, hopefully we'll solve it in the next 10. Yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I don't <laughs> promise anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I was saying, I think those two I definitely kind of grouped together. And I mean, there was the obvious kind of like grouping at the beginning of the ecology, which was the started off with Bookchin, which is a very bold move to start off uh, those 10 episodes with, which rocked. I loved the Bookchin. Bookchin was great. Um, we went into the John Bellamy Foster also to talk about that a little bit more. We went to the uh, idea of metabolic rift, which was very fun. Of course, we've gone this far without mentioning uh, the fantastic hangout session we had with uh, the Purple's Almanac guys. That rocked. Thanks again, you guys, for coming on. We talked all about, um, talk about anxieties. We talked about capitalism collapsing and what we're all <laughs> going to do uh, when that inevitably happens. Um, and then to round the ecology out, I guess we talked about the levelers, the true levelers, I should say, not the levelers. Um, and that kind of gave us like a little bit more of a history angle and the whole ecology issue and the whole kind of where did this whole class conflict under capitalism thing come from? Um, which I, yeah, I kind of appreciated that as a bridge into kind of the, um, I forget exactly what came after that. I think Miliband was, I should have really written this down. I think Miliband was maybe before that. And then we went into... Um, some more non-ecology stuff. But yeah, served as a good bridge. And I think the one thing that I came away from that little series thinking um, was I, I had a conversation the other day in my head, as I often do, where I was trying to solve... Where the best conversations happen. <laughs> exactly. Where I was trying other, to... Other than on this podcast. Other than, other than that. Exactly. The podcast in my brain um, where I was trying to solve baseball, Dan. I was trying to figure out what would make baseball better because very briefly we've had this whole thing here. it was the best sport it is the best sport uh, but it's the be best sport. it could still be better but that, i'm talking specifically about the major league baseball um and how we can make that better and we recently had a thing over here in this country uh the uk about uh the super league blah 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 and i realized that in america no one would ever take to the streets to protest like a massive change like that. And I was like, oh, I wonder why that is. And I also, I came to the conclusion that it's because our sports leagues are already super leagues, right? Um, and I was thinking like, well, what would a solution to fixing the baseball be? To getting money out of baseball, to making it not just a game that owners play to make money and not really care about fans, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, well, the solution to that would look a lot like the solution to everything else. It would basically just be getting rid of class entirely and it got me thinking about the ecology episodes because i was like generally when i think about a solution to ecological collapse and to environmental degradation uh it looks a lot like communism and socialism again it looks a lot like getting rid of class it looks like abolishing class um 
And so I don't know. I didn't have much else to say on the ecology episodes other than it's funny when you look at the major problems around the world and the solutions to them often tend to look very similar. And we tend to make a lot of this very complicated. Kind of tends not to be when you <laughs> when you're just able to say, well, what would happen if we were to get rid of class? What baseball would be fixed right away, which is, I think, what I'm most concerned about when we get to our baseball series uh, next 10 episodes. We can talk about that more. We'll become a baseball podcast. We'll become a baseball podcast. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think that was the main thing I came up with from the ecology series, quote unquote, thinking mm -hmm. is, um, yeah, obviously how intertwined all of these issues are from the baseball to the rainforest. <laughs> yeah. I felt like. Um... I feel like it'd be quite nice for me to express a concern I have with the episode we did with Andy and Elliot, mm. which I suppose I tried to bring up in conversation <laughs> with them, uh -huh. but also it didn't come across quite in the way that I intended, perhaps. And I guess before I say that, I mean, like, incredibly gracious for them coming on. It was a really great conversation. I hugely and highly advocate everybody go and listen to their podcast. It is one of the best. It's one of the best. Very good. So they're really excellent information. Mm. And um, I don't think, I don't think, actually I, I'm convinced that they would not hold to the a certain perspective which I feel like they could be accused of having, which is that there is only the only way to rectify or to escape the problems of capitalism is through some kind of collapse and coming out the other side. Oh, sure. The only way to rebuild the new society is from the from like the literal like destructive ashes of the old. But at the same time, it would be worthwhile, I guess, emphasizing that I don't think them, but certainly not us, endorse a kind of perspective which is. Um, just simply that, I suppose, that the only way to like border on acceleration. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah of some kind not. of a sort of a, a collapse, some acceleration committed to collapse, kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, of course not. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, I think it's very easy to get when you look at what we're up against, especially in the lens that they are, which is the environment and ecological collapse and. Don't get me started on a monoculture, Dan, mm -hmm. with the loss of mm -hmm. the very, very, very serious problem of loss of arable farmland. Um, it's really easy to go, well, the only way we're ever going to get anything done is when this all inevitably collapses, because it inevitably will. Um, and yeah, I yeah, I will say again, I don't think that that's what they think at all, obviously. But um, it's, it's really easy to fall into that trap, and it is lazy. And I remember in my teenage years, I read a Noam Chomsky book, well, as most Noam Chomsky books are, they're just interviews with him where they mm -hmm. slap a title on it. But it was called Optimism Over Despair. And the whole book was him talking about, I might've brought this up on an episode before, but the whole book was him talking about how horrible things are, how bad things are. And then the last question is like, so why do you want to call this book Optimism Over Despair? And he's like, well, what are you going to do? Be pessimistic? Suck it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's basically what he says. He's just like, you're just going to let the bad people win. And so it is, just, yeah, to have that frame of mind would be lazy. And of course we don't endorse that. But um, it's, it's almost just a way of dealing with anxieties when you take the big picture look because it's just like, oh, fuck. We're up against, we're up against some shit. Mm. We're up against some bad stuff. Mm. And it almost seems impossible, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and you see despair creeping in in a lot of places, right? I mean, like, 
I feel like, I mean, the kind of like, um, uh, the irony Stalinism is kind of like, yeah. it's another version of this despair, right? Imagine, I don't know. Good point. That's a good <laughs> Just point. Like, um, 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 imagining or advocating for um, some kind of like dictatorial control enforcing yeah. itself kind of thing. I guess that's the only, the only, well, there are certain other responses, I suppose, but it's that's kind of a version of a power from without coming and correcting things. It's yeah. the same as the kind of like the meme commitment to sort of a joke version of Posadism and the aliens coming from without and, <laughs> and and fixing all our problems kind of thing. Yeah. Um I guess I think I mean the fundamental message of socialism that we haven't ever really articulated is that like we have the capacity and ability to uh change the world for the better. Mm. Socialism is a, a good news message. Yeah. Exactly. Um and uh carry that message. Yeah. Carry that faith. Yeah. And I don't think there's any harm in considering it a kind of like a religious calling. Mm. It's hard to face down sometimes how insurmountable the task is. Yeah. And uh how we console ourselves and comfort ourselves. Yeah. I mean I can't tell entirely. <laughs> yeah. But um doing some kind of good. Yeah. <laughs> Whether that's just podcasting. Hopefully that counts because oh if it doesn't count. I heard I had I heard somebody say once that um both optimism and pessimism are both a form of abdicating responsibility. Mm. Like either things will turn out good or things will always turn out terribly mm. is advocating an idea that you have any control over that at all yeah um and i think the only thing we can meaningfully advocate for is some kind of faith in our ability mm. collectively mm. to meet the challenge that threatens to swamp us most of the time <laughs> yeah. which is as jack says like the the environmental collapse or yeah the um the war the, yeah. the war thing <laughs> The whole uh, the, the forever war, yeah. or the continuing myriad social crises that threaten us, or the the I'm uh, <laughs> <laughs> triggering Jack's anxiety. <laughs> Please, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. I was I've been I've been thinking a lot about the balance between the individual and and the collective. I suppose class when it comes to having these, yeah, you know, having a take on Marxism and being a Leninist, being an anarchist, being a, being a left com. And a lot of it, I think comes down to this kind of idea of like, what would be best for the class versus what can you do? Right. Because it's like, yeah, it's so easy to just be like, we need, we need to do this. We need to do that. We need to have a workers party. We don't need to have a workers party or not. But it's like the, where the dissonance comes in is like, what can you do right now? And that's not something I, I think that anybody can really balance, obviously, because it's not like one person's job. We hope it's not one person's job. Um, but yeah, it's it can be hard to balance those two things. When we get too much into theory, uh, you can you can get too swamped down into like, what do we all need to do? These idiots, if only everybody would listen to me versus what can you do? And when we look at a social science like Marxism, which relies so much on the collective, on the class, 
it can it can be hard to come to terms with that as a singular person as we all are yeah so yeah despair oh god (laughs) (laughs) um yeah Grow plants. I think that's what we settled on is just grow some plants and you'll be fine. Grow some broad beans. You'll be okay. It'll get yeah. rid of your anxiety. Grow some plants and give them names. <laughs> exactly. I like that. My potatoes are doing great. I will say, good, folks, if good, you were good, worried, good. if you're waiting on an update, they're doing great now. Um, grow yourself some friends. Grow yourself some friends. Exactly. In this alienated world, grow yourself some effing potatoes. Um, ecology. Do I have anything else I wanted to say on that? I don't think I do, other than that uh, if I think if someone's going to push me to come down as a revolutionary, as a reformer, as a left com, as a this, as a that, I'm a goddamn true leveler, okay? <laughs> and we'll leave it at that. I think we can all agree on that. And I will say, I mean that kind of literally, because Dan and I were talking about recently, I got on a train for the first time in a while, and going through Kent, I was just like, there is so much land not being used right now, and I'm this far away from just camping on it. And what did they say? Digging and manuring and growing stuff on it. We should all be doing that. That's all I'm saying. There's a lot of land that's not being used, and it could be. Minus the digging, of course. Minus the digging, of course. <laughs> yes. So I guess just manuring. That sounds weird. Um, Dan, would you like to talk about, and I don't know if this is an accurate grouping of our last three episodes that we haven't talked about, Philip Fawner, last episode, where we talked about uh, labor, uh, uh, the role of labor in the American Revolution and um, colonial America, colonizing America. Um, Group that with the Errol Morris, Fog of War, and with the people's favorite episode, (laughs) uh, the first part of David Talbot's uh, Devil's Chessboard. This, okay, you can tell that I grouped these first with the ecology, then with the Marxism and politics, council communism and Miliband, and then I had three episodes left over, and I was like, yeah, I guess I can group these. <laughs> I can group these together. Dan, would you like to explain <laughs> yeah, the logical Dan, connection why? between the elements of <laughs> this group? Why did I do that? I just put U.S. history is what I put as the connection, which that makes sense for the fauna, kind of for the Dulles. And yeah, we're talking about McNamara with uh, Errol. Three kind of distinct maybe two distinct epochs of American history, but both where we see the uh, thread of labor, perhaps not so much in the McNamara one. That one was just like, wow, wasn't Vietnam crazy? Wasn't World War II crazy? But yeah, I don't know, I suppose, what I got from those. Uh, America, dot, 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 the great Satan, question mark, perhaps, is what I got from those. Yeah, I suppose we really only had a class analysis in the fauna. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I have much else to say on that. Had a yeah. blast with the dumbest. <laughs> that's what I'll say. Yeah, yeah. We finally read the book. <laughs> we'll do some more of it. I'm very pleased that we did. Yes. It was good fun. Um, yeah, I don't know whether I, I recognize that grouping. <laughs> <laughs> Although they were they were tacitly connected, weren't they? Mm. Um, I wonder whether there's any reflection to be given on what you, something you said when we were reading uh, The Devil's Chessboard, when we talked, something that we talked about in that. And something that I realized this week when I was trying to explain to someone some of the themes of this podcast, that they might (laughs) come across as a little stale and boring sometimes. I wonder how we still reflect on the idea that there were some bad guys out there (laughs) and you can identify them as villains. Yes, (laughs) very much so. And um, one way of building... A narrative and advocating for change and developing a 
description of capitalist society is to highlight some of the most excessive, most villainous, most visible, most debauched, most debauched, <laughs> most uh, perverse uh, instantiations um, of its wickedness, I yeah. suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's the through line. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, um, we do run the risk on this podcast of academicizing things to the point where some of the kind of like viscerality mm. viscerality <laughs> visceralness is lost yeah where i sometimes wonder how concrete a critique we're making of capitalism mm. or how comprehensible or understandable it is mm. even to you and i let alone yeah. anybody listening and it's sort of I, something that we could we could we could spend more time doing or highlight more often uh some of these more visible i don't know I'm wrong. I like every. We all know it sucks. <laughs> Capitalism sucks. We all have to live under it. We all feel ground down. We all feel belittled. We all feel mm. alienated. We all feel like we're not fulfilling our potential. Mm. We'd all like a rest. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Yeah. Just having a rest. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose maybe just to clarify a bit on what I was saying there when we were talking about the Dulles, you're you're definitely right because it's like about academicizing stuff because. Again, I mean, I've said this before, but no matter where you are on the Marxist spectrum, it is about getting more people to realize, you know, it sucks. But what is it? It's it's capitalism. It's production for profit. It's all of this. It's not, you know, a couple bad guys. It's not uh, what it is, is the system acting exactly as it should. You know what I mean? And so I think that what we were trying to do with the uh, Dulles episode was make it more real make it more understandable, make it more interesting, and make people who would perhaps already be interested in these stories about the CIA and about all this, you know, cloak and dagger, like, whoa, they did what in Italy? They did what when? They killed who? Um, is to make that uh, visible for what it is, which is, again, the system acting exactly as it should and not any kind of aberration. But also, like, if you already understand that, they're just, they're stories that just are just mind-boggling. And I'm not going to say they're fun because they're obviously the like worst stories of all time and a lot of people, millions and millions, perhaps even billions of people have suffered because of these individuals, but um, they're fascinating, these stories about how things actually work. Because we all know, you know, the the uh, the way that capitalism functions and the way that it, it separates these classes and the way how, capital, how capitalists uh, extract surplus value, et cetera, et cetera. But to like actually see it on the ground, to actually see, well, how do peripheral countries become peripheral countries? Uh, how does the core operate? Uh, it's wild. <laughs> it's effing wild. So, uh, yeah, that was that. Yeah, I can only but endorse that clarification. Yeah. Yes, you're quite right. Yeah, yeah. Same thing, kind of, with the McNamara, because he was just such a weird little nerd that it's just like you can't help but just be fascinated by that guy um still don't know if i've come down yeah he was evil i i think that's pretty fair to say but it's also like hmm. such a weird was he evil, evil or did he just do evil yeah i mean i think it, i think i would like to say that he just did evil but how can you possibly say that someone who hmm. at a certain point when you've done a certain amount of evil yeah it's like you all right, can buddy. only be but evil <laughs> yeah it's like all right yeah I, how can you call anybody who uh, had any role in the firebombing of pretty much most of Japan, anything but evil, is uh, whether, you know, 
whether you want to make the distinction of them just doing evil or not, uh, I'm more than happy to call someone like that who is engaged in the, this imperialist war evil. And I'll leave it at that. You can always set the record straight in 10 episodes. In 10 so. episodes, yeah, exactly. Like, wow, I said something stupid. Robert McNamara was the people's hero. <laughs> um, and I, I very quickly wrote down the two capital episodes that we managed to get to as well, um, which were just the discussion on exchange value and, uh, and then commodity fetishism. Um, I mean, obviously, the through lines there are very obvious. It's a discussion of a coherent book, so go figure it out for yourselves. But, yeah, not much else to say on that. If you want to hear our takes on Capital, I would say just go listen to it there because I have no real interest in getting back into it now. Um, unless you'd like to hear me talk about coats and women. <laughs> we can again if you'd like, but I'd like to stay away from that. Um, ten episodes. Wow. Look at that. <laughs> we did it again. We did it again. Oh, my God. Um, and tell you what, folks, we'll probably do it again. 10 more episodes um yeah i don't know yeah. any i remember at the beginning of these 10 episodes in our last uh recap we were like yeah we'd like to get into some ecology what, do, what would you like to get into whether this isn't a promise <laughs> we'll get into what we get to all right um, um i'd like to find i'd like to settle some of these tactical and ideological questions that'd be good i'd like to i was about to say i'd like to find some ideological coherence perhaps mm. Mm. um i'd like to i'd like to feel i'd like to use the educational experience that is doing this podcast to put myself in a position where i can uh better advocate for a consistent position mm. if that makes any sense at all um what i would like to quite what i'd like to get into is some of the stuff that we've been referencing today the i guess the marxist center tendencies or mm. the, the the strategic strategy of marxist centrism i suppose the question of what kind of movement and what kind of party to build and ways of analyzing some of those tactical questions yeah. ideological coherency yeah. we'll check that off the list in the next 10 episodes um i mean that's never gonna happen <laughs> For good reason. Who, who is ideologically coherent? <laughs> exactly. I mean, for good reason. I mean, it would be pretty lame if we just read all this stuff and we were like, yeah, I'm still where I was 30 episodes ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? So hopefully in 30 more episodes, I'll, I'll be a libertarian. <laughs> yeah. Let's be like, it's just the government. The government's the only issue. Um, yeah. Ideological coherency. Um, next 10 episodes, I would like to... <laughs> Mine's a bit more specific. I want to get to part two of the book is what I'd love to do. All right. Um, and... Yeah. At least one more chapter of Capital. At least one chapter of Capital. We can promise at least one more. David Harvey has promised that it's going to get better. So, goddamn better. Um, and, yes, I would like to, I think, maybe focus some episodes on um, history. I'd like to talk a bit more history and a bit more, like, concrete circumstances that we people like ourselves have found themselves in in more uh, rocky times, perhaps. But also, um, yeah, I think I asked you about the Labour Party because I'd like to, it's all useful until we, you know, to talk about now. And so I'd like to maybe find some more modern examples of stuff to talk about, which would be good. And being very, very uh, anxious, Dan, about um, the, uh, as it's been for a very long time, but the degrading uh, situation in Palestine this past week, it's been freaking me out a lot. 
just I think seeing the images of uh, you know airstrikes going off in cities and like actual apartment buildings falling down seemed different. Obviously, I you know this is something that's been going on for quite some time, but yeah, felt a little bit more like I think maybe seeing the BBC have a headline like "Is War Coming?" was like whoa. Mm fucking scary yeah i could say uh, it's incredibly sobering and um yeah. i can only but empathize i suppose with the sense of with well, the degree of abuse with the sense of mm. powerlessness mm. with the discre- distress and the outrage um and for what it's worth offer unconditional solidarity yeah yeah but yeah, mm. of all the sobering things going on at the moment, it's not Labour Party defeating Hartlepool that <laughs> yeah, stands exactly. anywhere near the top of the list. Exactly. I get, you know, man, I get, I think the thing that makes me feel the most powerless is I feel so bad so much of the time where if I was from any other part of the world other than like West Coast America, I'd be so fucking mad with the American proletariat. You know what I mean? And I feel so bad about that. I don't know what else to say other than just like, I'm sorry. Because it's like, who's behind all of the shit in the world? Obviously it's America. And it's like, it's American capitalism. And I, I can only say I'm sorry. You know what I mean? For the revolution not coming in America anytime soon and the American working class being a uh, uh, whimpering mess. I don't know what else to say. I feel bad, folks. I feel bad. Hmm. Um, well... So- I can uh, speak from the much more privileged <laughs> position of hailing from a country that's never had any ill effect oh God. in the world. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, obviously. Mm. Yeah. Joking. Don't blame me, Dan. I'm sorry. I've done my best. I have a podcast. What more do you want me to do? Um, should we end on a high note? Uh, I would like that. That was more of a demand. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> please. End on a high note. Um, what can we end on a high note about? Um... We potentially have some cool interviews coming up, so stay tuned. Um, if some of them can be pulled off, it would rock. So hopefully they will be. Not going to say any more on that because they might not. So, <laughs> um, I'd like to do more of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. More talking to people. More talking to people. Yeah. yeah Less yeah. talking to each other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> um, whew, yeah, I don't know. Um, so we've looked forward to a new, uh, uh, a new set of episodes. I recently, hang on, it was recently my birthday, dear listeners, and um, a very good friend (laughs) got me a very good book. The book is Quotations from Chairman Mao. It fits perfectly in my pocket. I read it through all 300 pages of it every single day. Um, And I came across, this is kind of what triggered my, like, uh, uh, dissonance of the, like, class war versus my, like, affinity with the ultra-left which is, uh, I read this quote, which is from The Role of the Chinese Communist Party in the National War, October 1938, uh, a quote from Mao. And I just, I, I, I thought this was very funny because I don't, I'll be honest, I don't really know much about Chinese communism. I don't really know much about that period of history. Um, I don't know much about Mao at all. But it's funny because I was reading this and Mao says, we must affirm anew the discipline of the party. Namely, one, the individual is subordinate to the organization. Two, the minority is subordinate to the majority. Three, the lower level is subordinate to the higher level. And four, entire membership is subordinate to the central committee. And as again, someone who doesn't really know anything about Chinese communism, I just laugh about that because I was like, boy, that's not how I would vibe <laughs> with any kind of communist party being organized. <laughs>
That's just like, oh boy, I hate that. Yeah, somebody give that man a copy of Brownie of the Firm quickly. Yeah, exactly. I was just like, yeesh. Um, yeah. Good book, though. There's some great stuff in here about grain, and I love talking about grain. <laughs> you know what I'd like to do, Dan, in the next 10 episodes, and this has nothing to do with the podcast, is grow some grain. I think that'd be cool. Uh-huh. Make some bread. Yeah. I'd need a mill of some sort. Uh, yeah, it's, we need to, yeah grow, I'm growing some stable crops that one could actually <laughs> live on. Yeah. Yeah. How, I wonder how many plants you need to have one loaf of bread. Hmm. Imagine. I've often wondered that, actually. Like, the, mm. amount that you, the amount of food that you actually get from one... Yeah. What is it? Like a... What's one gra- one one grain <laughs> one grain plant <laughs> one wheat plant one shaft of wheat is yeah. that what one bushel one bushel <laughs> <laughs> yes but ha- for how many yards of linen is one bushel <laughs> oh <my> of God. <laughs> <laughs> I have I've not I refuse to even touch linen since we've started reading Capital. Um, all right, so I've come down yeah. uh, uh, ten episodes. I'm back to being a Maoist. <laughs> um, that's that's what I can settle on. Time is a flat circle. Time is a flat circle. Yeah, absolutely. Jesus, the one thing we can all count on: Jack being a Maoist. Um, all right. Well, yeah. I don't know. I don't want to belabor this episode anymore. Do you have anything else you'd like to say on no, that? No, not really. Not episodes? really. Good pro- podcasting. Good podcasting, folks. <laughs> Who said that? Thanks, guys. Um, yes, that's about it. I'm trying to think if there's any housekeeping or anything we need to talk about. Um, if you aren't already, as Dan said, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Please do that because I'd like to get to 100 subscribers. That'd Dan wants to get to 100. Yeah, that we, would be good. Yeah, if we got to 100, I tentatively promise, don't promise, to try and do something <gasps> with that platform that isn't just put the podcast there. That would be awesome. That'd be really, really cool. <laughs> I would really quite like to make more videos for YouTube. I don't know what they would be. Yeah, but uh, but it would be fun. It would be fun. You know how, like, I don't know, if you get to, like, a million subscribers, they give you, like, a silver thing or whatever. Yeah. When you get to 100, they give you, like, a Play-Doh play button. It's just made of, like, clay. <laughs> You're like, well I mean, done. Somebody's drawn the, like, the, <laughs> the YouTube play button onto a Post-it note. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Signed, Bob YouTube. Um, but, yes, YouTube channel. Um, we That's where we post our full, unedited uh, actual videos of us interviewing people. So in the next 10 episodes, uh, hopefully we'll be interviewing some more people and you'll see our beautiful faces up there once again. Um, and yes, hopefully we'll be posting some more stuff. Cool stuff like the uh, Stafford Beer thing. No promises there. Hopefully we'll get to that soon. Um, all right, Dan. Well, if there's nothing else, um, congratulations to us on another 10 episodes. Here's to another 10 more. I have a drink. I should be Cheers. bringing it up. Cheers. Um, and I guess we'll just see you next time. My name's been Jack. What a fun show. My name has been Dan. Fairly well, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. It's um, my continued astonishment, uh, but my continued joy. Yeah, and appreciation. Yes. We don't appreciate the listening enough. It's true. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, thank you very much, everybody. And we'll be back with uh, a full episode on all 300 pages of quotations from Chairman Bucks until the next episode. We'll see you next time. The music you heard this episode was Music to Kill Bad People 2 by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. If you like this song, you can check it out and much, much more on their bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com. Be sure and follow us up on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you like what you heard, be sure and tune in next week for some more commie discussion. 
Until next time.